Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. In this podcast, you'll learn actionable strategies to deal with infertility from Dr. Michael Chapman, or Prof as he's affectionately known. Prof is the co-founder of IVF Australia and is a leading Australian infertility specialist who has helped over 3,000 couples realise their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1800 111 483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. That first cry of a baby born after the long journey of IVF remains one of the most beautiful experiences in the world. As an obstetrician and an IVF specialist, I've had the privilege of experiencing this over many thousands of times in my long career, but I still remain moved by each baby's first cry. It signifies the end of a long journey and the beginning of a new life. This is Professor Michael Chapman, co-founder of IVF Australia and host of the IVF Journey podcast. Thanks for tuning in. To access all the previous episodes, head over to my website, www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. You'll also be able to find the various services that we provide at IVF Australia. So today, a very disturbing article has appeared in the media from the United States. And obviously in the United States, there's often things that in the IVF world, people regard as outlandish and sometimes more legally based than rational sense would dictate. So what was the situation? So here we have a couple who have gone through an IVF cycle and they put back two embryos and they got pregnant and they had twins and the pregnancy went really well. The couple went back to the other side of the United States and they had the babies. The problem was that as the babies were born, or very soon afterwards, this Asian couple realised that one of the babies did not look Asian. And the story then unfolds that they went back to the clinic and the patient whose embryo had incorrectly been transferred, was informed that event had occurred and then ensued a legal battle between the two couples as to whose baby the second twin was. Genetically, obviously, it was the baby of the non-Asian parents. Obviously, the Asian parents who have been through the whole process of antenatal care and delivery of twins which I presume was probably a cesarean section because it was twins in the United States. This eventually got resolved. I suspect the lawyers on both sides made lots of money out of this. The clinic was obviously having to compensate both parents 
And fortunately, I think the logical thing occurred, i.e. the parent, genetic parents of the child having their child to look after and the Asian couple have their singleton pregnancy. This raises the issue of probably what we in the IVF world believe to be the worst accident that can occur in IVF, the wrong embryo to the wrong patient. In Australia, one can't deny that it could happen, but we go out of our way to ensure the chances are small. I use the analogy of aeroplanes. In an aeroplane these days, you can feel very, very safe because at every point there is a cross-checking of equipment, of processes, and any doubt where something might be wrong, the plane doesn't take off. Indeed, we've all been very upset at times about delays because the plane has a technical problem. But what we know is that those technical problems could be the end of an aeroplane and the end of you. So we are tolerant of those technical faults being sorted. In an IVF laboratory, the processes that gone through to make sure that your embryo is your embryo and not somebody else's. So you may not know it when you're going through an IVF cycle. You may know about it because you may become annoyed about having to identify yourself again and again and again. When you have a blood test done, they'll ask you your name and address and your date of birth. And now in our clinic, we've even moved to the point of having you having to tell us what your mobile phone number is so it matches the mobile phone number on the top of your request form for a blood test, a request form for a scan... And then when you get to the time of the egg collection, you'll be asked at least three times as you go into the operating theatre whether you're the right patient in the right place. And once you've begun to have your egg collections done, the doctor will also have been asked to cross-check with the scientists that the name on the test tube is the same name as your name, which is on a band around your wrist. He has to check the tubes are the right tubes so that when the egg comes out, it'll be put into a tube that has your name on it. Then when your partner produces his sperm sample, he has to take that along to the laboratory and he'll be asked the similar questions about his name, his date of birth and the phone number of his mobile phone. And in some clinics, even to the point of having to show a driver's license so they can identify that person as being the same person. Because there have been examples where women have used not their husband's sperm to produce a pregnancy when they know that their husband's sperm is crap. So it's very difficult to get that one past the embryologist these days. Then we create the embryos, and what happens in the lab these days is that all the test tubes are barcoded. There's an electronic identification system that comes into play as well. But in addition to that, two scientists, whenever an embryo is shifted from one incubator to another or to the microscope, two scientists have to witness the other, making sure that it's the right person in the right place at the right time. Then when you get to embryo transfer, you will have noticed, I'm sure, again, being asked many times about your name, your phone number, your date of birth, to make sure that you're the right person for the right embryo. 
And in most clinics, certainly in our clinic, at the time of the transfer, the dish in which the embryo is sitting has your name imprinted upon it and that the doctor and you have to identify that that's the dish that is your dish and that the embryo, therefore, is your embryo. And then we do the transfer, but only after that. We are particularly concerned when the patient is of non-English speaking background and perhaps doesn't understand English as well as they should. And so that's why the, the driving license or identification being shown has become very important. So it may be tedious having to go through all these checks and having to repeat your name and date of birth, etc. But what we're doing is preventing the mix-up that occurred in the United States. You can be very reassured that in Australia, the chances of that happening are about as high as an airplane crashing because of the repeated checking that goes on. And don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website, www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1800 483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au.